This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Bitchon, 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 bitchon. Zwei Stück ein Euro. Bitchon, bitchon, ein Euro, ein Euro. Like a track. Bitchon needs gaps. The train. Bitchon can glide on. Bit. Schon as a canal, 1845, about Landwehr, territorial force, lapsed to a blood-shadowed Schon, oder? What we have just heard is a poem by Greg Nissan, uh, from whom we're going to hear another poem later on. And it introduces our episode today on the topic of multilingualism. And we're sitting here at a coffee stand on, uh, on a market in Kreuzberg at the Maybachufer. Could you tell us a little more about this market, please? Uh, what's particularly interesting at a market like this is, as you maybe can even hear in the background from all the voices, there are so many voices coming together and so many people speaking different languages in addition to a majority language and they are just using these languages. So they just talk to each other in no matter what uh, linguistic resources they need and they integrate in everything they know linguistically just uh, for the sake of communication without bothering and worrying too much about is this formal standard language as prescribed, say, by your grammar teacher. I'm happy to sit here together with uh, five researchers um, whom I'm going to ask to briefly introduce yourselves, please. Hi, I'm Judith. Uh, I'm working at the Center for Language and Urban Diversity. I'm Heike Wiese. Um, I have the chair of German and Multilingual Context at Humboldt University Berlin. Hi, I'm Salkan Yüksel. I'm working in a um, SFB project, which is called Integration of Linguistic Resources in Highly Diverse Urban Settings, Stretching the Limits of Variability. Hello, I'm Iram Duman and I'm from University of Potsdam. I work in the same project as Sarkhan and I'm focusing on linguistic ethnography and urban language diversities. Hi, I'm Oliver Bunk. I'm working in a research group that's called RUIC and we are focusing on the language of people who live in different countries but speak in the majority language but also another language at home. Could you... A bit walk me through how this idea of multilingualism relates to an urban reality. Um, people might think of language as something that is written down or that is codified in a lexicon, but what we actually see is that language is a highly social phenomenon. So it is where people meet, it's where people make certain gestures and it is most of all where people speak to each other. So in an urban context like this one, we find that it's a lot of people that actually interact and that meet and that use different forms of language and languages. So we see this kind of urban space as a place where new forms of language might emerge, where traditional forms might be still in use, where we can see different strata, so different layers of languages happening at the same time. And a lot of the projects that, or several of the projects we will talk about today, are looking at specific phenomena in one of these languages or in several of these languages. 
in a way how they come together in this urban space. As we know, big cities all around the world exhibit a large ethnographic diversity today and this brings also along a large linguistic diversity and uh, such diversity engenders new forms of interaction through mixed linguistic resources. And uh, this ends up with uh, the emergence of new and context-specific varieties and these are specific for the urban spaces. And if we look at it historically, um, cities have always been a magnet for immigration and, and always been a site of large diversity of um, people coming together. And um, this has been like that throughout history. Some of the big cities that still exist today, like Istanbul, formerly Constantinople, for instance, uh, have always been like that. And that um, in European nation states today, we think of it being normal that people speak just one language as we sometimes have in rural areas um, that is actually the exception so in a way such markets in urban markets bring back some normalcy to uh, European societies and societies in other monolingually oriented countries Tell me what, what is the public relevance of the research that you're doing? Well, there is a contradiction between perception of people and the reality of today. Um, there is a perception of monolingual habitus, ideologies based on national and standard languages, but uh, there is also a reality regarding diverse and mixed language use and variation in urban spaces. And this results in social inclusion or exclusion along with us and them dichotomies because pe people think the people who speak, le speak like them are one of them, but the others are others, actually. So we're going to hear um, another poem um, by uh, Greg Nissan. Um, could you... Please tell me something about uh, Greg Nissan and what, how, how, how come you have uh, chosen these poems as 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 uh, good examples for for our topic today. Uh, Greg um, uh, worked with us as a visiting researcher, and um, when he came to Berlin from the U.S. Um, to see what we're working um, on, um, first thing we did, we took him to this market. In fact, to this uh, coffee stall where we are sitting now, and we also had a had a mocha with him. In his poetry, he captures uh, the language that he hears in, in urban sites in a literary form. Um, and uh, so from this visit to the market, um, Greg started visiting the market frequently, um, spent a lot of time here and ended up writing a book-length uh, poem on the market that kind of captures what uh, this market sounds like. Pa gesticulates to his son, iridescent neck of Berlan, spangle shifts green to plum if, um... Angle of viewing flaps. And jeder angle is texting, shortening words or salivating abbreviations. Text apes speech, apes text gapes speech. Vivi chic. Wind serifed river, sinusoidal along the market. Willows and skies, pillowed ornament. Earth's mantle revolving in an atmosphere for Allah, Allah or Gott. Sei dank schon, bitt schon, man, go mango mango, 
old Turkish women wrapped like Russian dolls, stacked like business cards, gray as clouds, swallow a beige brick parapet. Willow's subtitle, her hair, a confluence of impasto. Are you fluent? A fluce asks. No questions. At a market like this, a lot of the uh, stall owners, a lot of the sellers here um, speak uh, several languages at home. For instance, Turkish and German or Arabic and German. And in another project, we had to look at... Uh, this kind of bilingual speakers that we call heritage speakers because a different language than the majority language belongs to the cultural heritage um, of uh, the family of these speakers um, and had a look at it, what do they do with these two languages in different situations how do they use their um, linguistic repertoire so what we did is that we asked participants to describe a specific situation in different contexts, so we asked them to watch a video with a um, accident with a car accident and we asked them to text a friend what they just saw or um, send a, uh, write a police report or talk to the police on the phone or they talk to, the, to their friends on phone so they should send them a voice recording via WhatsApp so really media that they know, that they know WhatsApp and messages and writing and We did that in Germany with um, different speaker groups. We did the, that with monolinguals, but also with speakers that also speak Turkish, Russian or Greek at home or with their friends. So they were basically well bilingual. They spoke both languages, German, but also the other one. And what we saw is that all the speakers um, did different, but behaved different in the situations because they indicated if they spoke formally, so with the police or wrote to the police or informally, so with friends in writing and speaking but they all did that so everybody was able to perform in these two, in two different domains informal and formal and that was very interesting so all the people no matter if they speak another language besides German or not they are able and capable of speak, of um, deciding between differentiating between informal and formal language so we also conducted the same study in, in other countries for example in the US we did the same there, there so people were also asked to describe the different in different situations what you just saw And what you can do is now is find out if you if you are able to tell um, the difference between the recordings or not. So we play you the recordings and then you can see which one was the informal, which one was the formal. Just try to find out. And like there's a car coming right at it. He hits the brakes and then the guy behind him crashes into him. Isn't that crazy? Across the parking lot there was a man and what looked to be his wife, and his wife had a stroller with her. And they were walking down the sidewalk. The man was bouncing a ball on the sidewalk. After the car coming, quickly slammed on the brakes to avoid getting into an accident or even killing the dog. And the person behind him rear-ended him. There was like this guy walking, and he had like a ball, and he dropped it in front of this car, right? But then there was a dog that like went after it, so the car had to brake super fast, and then a car behind him hit him. So can you tell which was the police voice and which one was the WhatsApp recording? No. <laughs> right, so the first and the last were the messages to a friend, and the second and third were messages to the police. But can you also tell who was the bilingual or not? Probably not. Because... because um, 
that's what I just told you. Both both groups do structures that deviate from the from the what you would call standard, but they do it in they do it also. So they do it when they are monolingual, but they also do it when they are um, multilingual. The only, the only difference is that the multilingual speakers they use the patterns that the monolingual speakers used more productively, so more creatively. They could use it, so they use it more often, and they use it in slightly different um, like types or variations of the standard. So that was very interesting. Um, yeah. So in informal situations, both performed basically the same. Both were p perfectly fine in speaking the standard or the formal version of the language. And in the informal um, categories or the informal situations, they deviated from the standard. The multilinguals a little bit more than the monolinguals. The interesting thing is that um, when you look at the informal recordings, you realize that monolingual speakers who like in, in previous years were often seen as the standard or the, the control group for bilingual speakers um, do a lot of things in informal language that we don't know from standard language so word order deviations in German for instance where previously people would have said this is typical of bilingual speakers who don't speak German so well or um, some uh, criticizations shortening in the English um, that so far we had only known from bilingual speakers but maybe the reason was that in bilingual speakers we look at inter we, we expect interesting things we expect them to to do something that might be not non-standard whereas in monolingual speakers we don't look so sharply we, we don't look so carefully for deviations from the standard the way i understood you so you you look at language as a, a as a basically a capacity or a resource um, to draw on to to communicate. So, how can you then say standard? So, I think you are perfectly right. I mean, what is the standard? That's actually one of the basic questions I think that all linguists are coping with, or many linguists are dealing with. So, we, as I just told you, in different situations, we speak different types of languages. And if we are, if we are in a situation that we think that we have to. Um, reach a certain level of correctness, if you want, if you want to put it like that, then we adapt to a certain type of speaking, and we also like, like um, reflect what we want people to perceive us of, so that we want people to think of us that we are clever, that we are intelligent, and that's when we use a language that we think might reflect that, and that is usually the standard language, because the standard language or the more formal language includes um, characteristics from written language which was um, conventionalized and formalized in a very traditional kind of way and that's what most people think is the right way to speak but that's obviously not the case because as we just saw we have different like registers and repertoires in our language capability that we use in different very dis different um, situations and contexts right and we could in fact uh, even go a bit um, take this a bit further what what oliver just said and say Maybe we shouldn't think of different languages or different dialects or standard language versus not so standard language vernacular. Maybe we should think of communicative situations. So just imagine growing up in this area. So maybe um, so when you're um, in your childhood, you find out there's a certain way of speaking that we use in the family. 
And there's a different way of speaking that we use in a shop or at a stall here and a different way of speaking when you go to school or to kindergarten that I use at school. And maybe one way of speaking you then find out is called German. And the other way of speaking you then find out is called German-Turkish mixing. And what you talk to your granny might be called Kurdish by others. But for you, these at the beginning, these are just different communicative situations and you're using the resources and sometimes the same resources in the family as at school that can overlap. Um, so depending on what is common and what you find to, to be normal and right, like Oliver said, in, in a certain situation, that's, that's what you use then. And at a market like this, This might even give rise to concepts like uh, metrolingualism. That um yeah. So, 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 explain to me what what what's then metrolingualism in in contrast to multilingualism? Okay, we see that um, since the beginning of 2010, there are newer concepts um, about multilingualism. There is translanguaging, translingual practice, transglossia, polylingual languaging, and metrolingualism. All these concepts share a desire to move away from the language of bi or multilingualism, castigating earlier work for operating with the idea that multilingualism is the sum of several separate languages. All these approaches talk in terms of repertoires of linguistic resources rather than um, code-switching, code-mixing or multilingualism. They have more in common than differences and show a major paradigm shift in the way we think about languages. So here I want to talk about um, two of these concepts. One is translanguaging and translingual practice. Um, these terms serve as an umbrella term for any form of what we would call language mixing or code-switching. Um, another term which is more interesting for us as um, researchers of the Maybachufa market is metrolingualism. Um, it is considered as an attempt to understand linguistic resources in relation to the city. How are everyday language practices related to urban space and how the spaces and rhythms of the city operate in relation to language? Metrolingualism um, makes central the relation relations between language and place, so it's called spatial repertoires, language and activity, metrolingual, it is called metrolingual multitasking, and the broader context of the city. Uh, we see the examples of, or traces of metrolingualism here at the market. Uh, for example, people use um, shorter expressions because... There's a flow, as you can see. People are always moving. They are constantly moving. They are passing by. And people have to be fast. Uh, it's not a store uh, that where people could take their times and talk more about the products, etc. But here, for example, when they want to heat up uh, something to eat, they don't, they don't ask, uh, should I heat it up for you? But they just say... Do you want it hot or just hot? Uh, actually, that's, uh, that's an example for metrolingualism and the uh, spatial repertoires because it makes sense only here at the market. And also, for example, here uh, Turkish is the dominant heritage language and people learn Turkish even if their first language or second language isn't Turkish because it's relevant here, because Turkish is relevant here at the market. 
So that's interesting to hear about the spatial relevance in, in languages. Yeah, it's actually one of the very important factors that determine how and why we speak the way we do. And there's, just to add maybe one more facet to this market idea, we have this image of the stalls, but we, in the way we are speaking now, are also part of the market. And we are researchers who usually speak German to each other or other languages. But for the sake of this um, broadcast or podcast we do speak English to each other and we've decided to do this or to use this type of practice that is also common to us for a certain purpose which wouldn't make sense if we would meet in the metro for example or which would ne uh, call for some other kind of action so I think we're never outside of those spatial practices we're always in some place when we speak and so we can always look around and see what is influencing how we're speaking and what we're doing with languages. Yeah, Heike. And uh, whatever languages you have at your disposal, or whatever dialects you speak, there will always be this range of uh, options you have. Um, uh, so, like Judith said, here we are speaking English and a pretty standard close English, given that we are um, none of us is a <laughs> has English as a first language. Um, But, uh, say, in other contexts, I might speak a more colloquial English. My husband is British. And with my children, I might speak a mixture of English and German or a more colloquial German. So, And this is true for all of us. All of us um, mix and match resources. And um, depending on what, what background you have, this can be broader or um, narrower, but there will always be resources. Regarding these uh, different terms that you uh, refer to, Serkan, translanguaging, translingual practice, metrolingualism, what are the, the, the big topics that are being discussed in these terms? These newer terms um, bring the discussion about the term language itself. So is it justified that we are separating um languages at all so is it is is that a or do we have to think rethink everything we put down about language so do we have to speak in terms of languaging instead of separate languages and i think it is a quite big debate nowadays in um research and um linguists go in different ways in, in that terms so um, I think a main controversy in this um, domain that uh, Serkan just mentioned is, um, should we speak of, say, people at this market of speaking now Turkish, then German, then English, then Spanish? Or should we just say they are languaging here and there is no such thing as Turkish versus German versus English like, as an identifiable language? So as Serkan already said, this really goes to the core of uh, what we do as linguists. Do we research languages <laughs> Do we just research language or linguistic repertoires or metro-linguistic repertoires? Well, again, looking at these concepts who are um, debating the concept of language itself, I can say that the market itself brings us good data in um, to, to, to bring examples, controversy to what they bring as examples. Because what they again looked at are, in most of the cases, bilingual communities where really there is the intention in, in switching between languages or translanguaging is not identifiable 
as easy as it is here at the marketplace. Because here, even um, when when a seller sells his product, he is sometimes switching to a language which he thinks would um, persuade customers in terms of um, they, they would buy the product. So the intention is really to switch. There is a clear intention. And I also asked sellers if it is there, if there is something like that, and they um, agreed. And and sometimes the choice of language um, can also go wrong. For instance, in terms of address, um, and um, uh, Iram worked a while at the market and had some <laughs> experiences with that. Yeah, people at the market. Um, Not only at the market, but always when uh, when you speak to a person, there's always a co-construction of identity. We socially position each other. And here at the market, people use terms of address, such as abla, big sister in Turkish, or madam. Uh, and uh, they are choosing these uh, forms of address according to the constructed identity of the interlocutor. And sometimes <laughs> it goes wrong. <laughs> um, during uh, our data collection, I did a participant observation here at the market. So I worked as an undercover linguistic ethnographer slash seller at the market. And I adopted these terms of address. And um, these terms of address are ethnographically specific, we can say. For example, if a person as if a woman perceived as Turkish, they call uh, this person Abla. But if she is considered as non-Muslim, they say Madame. And um, when I was working here, I called uh, a woman Madame. And she, tell, and she told me, why are you calling me Madame? I'm Turk. So... Uh, The customers have also sensibilities about these forms of address. They want to be categorized in the right social category. Okay, let's consider the political and pedagogical consequences that arise from this paradigm shift uh, in linguistics. What follows from, from your research on languages and languaging politically or pedagogically? Heike. Languages are always creative and um, speakers are always creative and we shouldn't be too fixated on some kind of imagined monolingual standard language um, even at school when uh, when we have bilingual speakers or maybe for instance refugees who've just arrived in the country and uh, the children still have to learn the language we shouldn't um, make them speak only German in Germany or only English in the US for instance um, we should um, help them slowly get into the language by translanguaging by using different languages their heritage languages family languages at school as well And if we look at uh, bilingual speakers, we shouldn't just uh, look at their informal language and check whether it's exactly like what we perceive as standard, because that's what's often done. We often compare um, apples and oranges, or apples and pears, as we say in German, <laughs> actually. Um, and uh, we compare 
informal vernacular by bilingual speakers to what we see as the standard language. But we should compare it to informal vernacular of monolingual speakers and then we might find that there are actually not so many differences. Judith. And maybe one more thing that we see in schools is that as speakers we are very sensitive to difference in languages. So even children, they're very good at perceiving differences and knowing where to speak in which way and we all have to learn that while we grow up so making teachers aware and also other adults by the way um, that we do speak in many different ways and it is valuable to know these different ways is one of the things that we can learn from the market to see the let's the beauty and diversity, but also to see the, how it is useful to have different resources and not just, as Heike just said, the one imagined standard language, which wouldn't get us very far here at the market if we would only use fully formed perfect sentences. We would just lose too much time and we would never get those nice tomatoes that are gone in just a second. So does this imply rethinking... Uh a canon of literary books, of uh, poems, of rethinking the use of Shakespeare and Goethe in, in, our, in our school curricula? No, of course not. As much as what is happening here at the market is part of our repertoires in German or English or Turkish or Kurdish, in the same way is the literary traditions, everything that's written in a very high what is now perceived as very high German or standard forms, it used to be poetic language use. So it is very much about the interpretation as well. And I mean, what we do have is this wide range of forms of language. And we should, I think, aim as linguists and as speakers to make use of the widest range possible. So rather than saying this one is now better than what the other or just inversing these um, hierarchies. No, I think it's very much about uh, widening the scope of saying we can look at different things and we would want to discuss different things as well. Irem, in, in the beginning when I asked about the public relevance of, uh, of the research that you're doing, you, you were also referring to Uh, the dichotomy between us and them that often goes along um, with with such conventional ideas of proper uh, speaking a proper uh, standard languages. How do you think this kind of research feeds into dissolving this kind of uh, dichotomy? Well, uh, this kind of research helps people understand that they are not speaking wrongly but just normally because this is their everyday language use and we uh, spoke about the so-called standard language but whose standard is it actually? Uh, everybody speaks uh, context dependently and they use their, their language repertoires and This is diverse, so we can't talk about one right language. 
And often if we criticize other people's language, uh, we don't actually mean the language. We should really try and reflect a bit. Why do we have a problem with, uh, say, linguistic mixing, with Spanglish? Is it really something about the grammar uh, that's used there? Or is it uh, because we have a problem with a certain group of speakers? Um, this is something um, we call proxy racism, that you're using the arena of language um, in order to to kind of act out your more or less racist ideas about different groups of speakers. So it's this association that uh, Iram talked about of, of uh, certain ways of speaking with certain speaker groups. This was a wonderful uh, conversation to have with you and thank you very much, Oliver, um, Irem, Serkan, Heike and Judith. And thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.